Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 309 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode, I chat to Michael Foslind and Isaac Duggerberg of Elden Pixels about their arcade action platformer, Owl's Legacy, which is a sequel to Owl's Awakening. Yes, it's a follow-on. Now, Owl's Awakening, very similar title only, it looks like, it plays like a NES game or NES, if you're from another part of the world. But over in the UK, we've always called it Nez. It's good. It's really, really good, actually. Highly, highly recommend it. And as well as I do recommend Owl's Legacy, which looks like a SNES game. Or should I say SNES. Or even Mega Drive. Uh, yeah, went there. But uh, fantastic game. Really well crafted. And it doesn't insult the intelligence of the player. It lets them figure stuff out for themselves. It doesn't punch them in the face about what they should be doing it's really well done really well put together I can't say that anymore than I've already done so and it's a pleasure chatting to Michael and uh, Isaac about this excellent excellent game so without further ado let us listen to me from the past about six or seven weeks ago chatting about the amazing Owl's Legacy Chris if you'd be so kind Miguel and Isaac Hello. Who are you? Who are you both, and what do you do? Right, uh, I'm Isaac, uh, and I am the lead programmer here at Ellen Pixels. So I make all the technical stuff work and uh, makes the game uh, playable. Yeah, and I'm Michael Forsland. I'm the game designer and level designer for both uh, Elvis Awakening and Elvis Legacy, and I jokingly call myself the ID guy here at the office. <laughs> Okay, so from here on in, I think we can tell the two different voices. Thank you, thank you, gentlemen. 
So it's going to be uh, Isaac and Michael. Isaac and Michael, there you go. So, cause, yeah. so you can answer this. Because um, there are times when many guests flow into the next question, which is wonderful. But you two haven't, and I thank you for it so much. But um, the second, because you, you don't know what the second question is, but you'll find out why when I ask it. But um, so, Isaac, to, 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 this is uh, to Isaac first and Michael. Um, how did you make your start making video games? So, uh... A few years ago, I think it was uh, 2017, I found a game development course here in Gothenburg uh, to become a game programmer. Um, so I started studying there. I've always wanted to make games my entire life, and I figured that uh, a, uh, a school in my hometown is a great way to start. So uh, after two years over there, I started my internship here at uh, Elden Pixels. And uh, after the inter- internship, I got an... Uh, uh, employment, and uh, now I've been working here full time uh, ever since. How did yeah, you find um, the course then? Sorry to, I'll talk, talk no, to I, sorry, sorry. just to expand a little bit. But how did you find? Did did it work for you? Was it was it helpful? Was it you know was it something you'd recommend to any budding developer? It's not a silly question. Yeah, yeah, no, it it was uh, definitely extremely helpful. Oh, um, good. It was. Uh, it, it's a big focus here. I don't know what it's called. It's called Yrkeshögskola here in Sweden. I don't okay. know what it's called in English. Right. And it's basically... Uh, vocational. Vocational? Yeah, yeah vocational. vocational. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. And their focus is basically to look at what the industry needs and then teach us those things during a short period of time. Very intense. Yes. And then give us direct connection to the industry here, uh, here in Gothenburg. So yes. after the two years, you had connections. You knew where everybody was at. Or you knew all the, you knew about all the game studios, and you had a very big reach uh, from basically not knowing anything about game development in Gothenburg to knowing about everything. Wonderful! It was it's been extremely helpful. I can't recommend it enough. Excellent, because I have to ask that question because there's all sorts of different stories and sort of sometimes some some courses are actually degrees or masters or and. Uh, actually end up you end up doing something quite esoteric or first principles and that kind of stuff which is important but this is like it's just not really getting much of my i'm not i'm not getting the tools i need i'm just getting the knowledge if you know what i mean and that's useful as well but it's it's so every course has its own but it sounds like it was very much a tool giving exercise like here's the tools you need and here's the thought processes you need to actually do what you want to do and that's wonderful so yeah thanks thanks for that isaac yeah. michael i oh, sorry i interrupted you please tell us what's your history of uh, starting the creation of video games yeah i mean as many others in the game industry i've always been a fan of video games um, i'm closing up on 40 now so i've been playing video games since i was like five or six years old and um, but for me, I didn't end up in the gaming industry until 2014. So pretty much all my entire adult life, I've been working in video stores, and I was a retail store manager for uh, a chain here in um, Gothenburg, Sweden. And I quickly, this was eight years ago, so there were still video stores here in Sweden. But I kind of realized they won't be along, won't be around for long. So. I thought to myself, okay, what do I want to work with? And I thought to myself, maybe I could work within video games. So I actually sent the job application without having any real formal knowledge of working in the game industry. I actually applied for a job at Nintendo. Like, So I sent them an application. And I spent like a couple of 
days on this job application. So it wasn't just a, an email. It was a, I made a small, like almost like a magazine. It was only eight pages, but I interviewed myself. So, and I reviewed the newest games and I did spend a lot of time on this job, job application. I was very proud and I sent it over to Nintendo and I did call them and they were impressed by they didn't have a job for me. So I was kind of bummed out because I was like, I spent all this time, you know, trying to get this cool job at Nintendo and they didn't didn't want to hire me. That's weird. Maybe I should, you know, get some formal education so I can actually do the job. So that led me to apply to business school. So I started that in 2012, also a vocational university education. So I went to business school for two years from 2012 to 2014. And then just as Isaac, I got an internship at a game developing studio here in Gothenburg called Image and Form. And uh, I started working there after the internship ended. And that I worked there for about one and a half year. And then there's something called, there's a company called Thunderful here in Gothenburg. They're like the publisher for both Image Form and Soink Games. And they weren't around in 2015, but the collaboration between those studios were around. So I worked for three years on both Image Form and Soink. And then I left in 2018 to start Elden Pixels full time. Right, so, that's, yeah. that's a great history and a bit of crossover. We've, we've had image and form on the show, so that's, oh, really? that's, that's quite interesting. Um, I can't remember his name. It's been quite a while. We had a lot of guests on. I'll have to check back. Oh, okay, but, okay, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, I don't know, Thunderfall, they do uh, Lonely Mountains Downhill, which is one of my favourite games of last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, quite, quite. What a game that was. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, uh, no, it's a nice sort of. It's a small world. The, the video game industry is, very, you know, it's this. Yeah, and uh, I don't think that's, that's and you've obviously stepped out and went. Okay, we we can do our own thing. And wow, have you? But we talk about Owl's legacy uh, presently. So that's what we're going to hear. We talk about in the second half of the show. But before yeah. we do, we need to know a little bit more about uh, Elden Pixels now, yeah. because. The next question is known as the dreaded third question. I say dreaded, but uh, some listeners have said, oh, well, this one's a bit broad, but it has to be asked because you are creators yeah. of things. And this question is this. What are your biggest influences? Uh, and I'm going to ask you back. Do you mean when creating the studio or creating games? Creating games, the actual uh, endeavor of creating the games yeah. you make. What do you believe is the things or thing that you find yourself orbiting or being influenced by more than anything? Uh, I guess I can start from a programming perspective. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, uh, I programmed a lot of the bosses in Elvis Legacy. Elvis Legacy is my first shipped title, so I don't have a lot of uh, games on my build. But um, when I made the bosses there, I looked at a lot of old uh, old Metroidvanias and old uh, NES games. So I think I looked a bit on at the Castlevania for the bosses specifically. Right. Uh, I saw a little bit how they set up the characters where they uh, use segments and stuff, like segmented body parts to try and make snakes and stuff like that. And I Really like the style, and I think it works great with pixels. So, a lot of inspiration came from that when I was designing that. Um, 
then I, I actually also use a lot of inspiration from Super Smash Brothers um, when doing a lot of the platforming and the timings and how much end lag should there be on your attacks and stuff like that. Because it's a game that it's so competitive and it's so fleshed out over so many series that they figured so many things out. So I actually have gotten a lot of my inspiration from uh, from balancing uh, platforming attacks and stuff from uh, from Super Smash Brothers. That's fantastic because people don't get that. People who don't play Smash don't realize that it's not about hitting. No, it's about landing in the right place. That's that's what the game is. Not ninety percent, but I'd say at least sixty percent of the game is about where you are and where you've, when you've landed and re- relative to the person you're trying to actually attack. And I yeah, know, exactly. I know Isaac, you get that because that's what you had to study. You realize that, oh wait, it's a platformer. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it genuinely is a crazy weird one that happens on one screen, but ultimately it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've always been so fascinated that they're all able to have over 80 characters with different movements, but people can pick them up and learn them in like five minutes, which yeah. is absolutely incredible. It's a, it's a triumph, isn't it? It really is an absolute triumph of, of a game. Um, I'm terrible at it. I say terrible, you know, I'm adequate at it, but uh, I appreciate it. You know, when I get knocked out, I sort of, or, or when I actually land something properly, it really is, it definitely is about where you are not what you're doing (laughs) and where you're going as well you know is uh making sure that you prevent others from doing that that's the other thing there's lots of disruptive movements and uh i can definitely now i didn't see it now but yes i can see that influence in uh, elvis legacy so yeah fantastic yeah okay what about you michael what do you think is the thing that uh you uh, the the studio indeed yourself are or influenced by? Yeah, uh, when it comes to making games, I think like Elden Pixels has we've released two games so far, Elvis Waiting and Elvis Legacy, and both are retro games, you would say, although Elvis Legacy takes a bit more creative freedom than the first one. But like when it comes to making retro games, I'd say from a personal level, I was talking about this with, uh, with my wife the other day, that you have like... From from when you were born and up till you're about like 20 or something, you have your childhood. And then I think you spend like most adult life trying to chase whatever that feeling you had growing up was. Whether that be the comfort of your parents or, you know, the games you played or the movies you like or the books you read. Like you're, as I mentioned, I'm close to 40 now. And all I do is like, you know, I'm just chasing that feeling from whatever you had when growing, growing up. And playing video games, the retro games that are Alva's Awakening, those were the games I grew up playing. So that's what we've been creating. Like, that's my influence. I want to create a game that... I wanted to create a game that I would want to play in my own room as a child growing up. Like, And I think we've succeeded in that. So the coming challenges will be... Because now Alva's Legacy is out, and we are starting our third game, which will probably be you know, have its ground in the retro scene as well, but it's probably going to be, we're not really sure where it will take us, but it's probably going to be more of a modern game. And that's that's completely new to me because ever since I started with Elden Pixels, which has now been four years of my life, I've I felt, unfortunately, that I've, I've, I never have time to play video games in the same sense that I did when I before I started in the games industry. And as of a year, I have a son who's uh, one, he's one and a half now. 
so I even less time nowadays to play video games. So looking for inspiration for a third game is going to be interesting because I don't really know where to look because I don't really know much about video games that are modern. I think we'll we'll take the time we'll need in order to find our you know creativity and our inspiration, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, there's many different ways to consume video games now, though, of course, unlike when we were growing up. Because I'm, I, I'm yeah. slightly older than a good self. I'm actually hitting the big 5-0 this year. Jeez. Oh, so, yeah, I started uh, in the 1970s playing Pong. I'm not joking. I genuinely did. Uh, so when people ask me, when did you first start playing video games? What was the first game? I got actually bluntly look at them and go, well, Pong. What? Seriously. <laughs> it, it really was that. You know, awesome. and uh, and that's been playing for that long, and uh, I just find it remarkable that you know you can stream games and you can watch videos of games, and you still get not quite the same, far from it, but you get a feedback loop from the people playing it, and if they're good hosts and they describe what they're doing and saying what they're feeling about what they're doing and how they're exploring the game, because I stream myself, it's okay. uh, you, you get a lot of so that means you don't have to spend the same amount of effort because of, of say attention the same level of attention is not the same so you don't have to sit there with the controller and exclusively look at the one thing you can do something else at the same time while while they're doing it and that actually yeah. that's my recommendation it's not ideal i know but it might be an avenue from to, to help you out there because i can definitely feel that as a young you know an experienced father i know it's been 18 months but even still you you, you got another at least 30 years of this <laughs> of, of you know being you know the, the, the parent and nurturing actually for the rest of life never mind yeah. <laughs> um, but um, the, the point is you know it, it, your, your time is becoming more precious than anything now you find yeah and yeah. Uh, the time poor is, is is difficult to cope with and uh, I completely relate to your to how you're feeling and stuff but that's how I've got around it my friend is you know if you're doing any chores or ironing or something that needs to be done some cleaning and stuff then you can actually um you know sort that out by either listening to podcasts or, or watching but uh yeah um yeah, I, I wish you the best of luck with the third game hopefully we'll get you back on to talk about it <laughs> um yeah. but uh it's, kind of the, uh, it's, it's yeah, a little sorry. it's a little ways off i suspect but uh we'll talk about that later on um so Next question is also quite difficult, and I'd like both of you to answer actually, rather than just as one, because I think you might have very different responses to this one. Um, and uh, it's probably one you haven't really been asked before, uh, and uh, at least I hope not. <laughs> uh, so here it is. Um, so it's still Isaac first, and again, Mike, Michael can can listen and go, "Oh, I've got an answer for this one." What developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? It's a tough one. <laughs> um, I mean, it can be more than one. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make it any easier. I know. <laughs> um, Question. I mean, if Michael wanted tips in first, and Isaac can either one. I I I might. This is going to be a really boring one, but uh, Sakurai, Masahiro Sakurai, who made Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's really I mean, important to go to say, but he's he's the one that is, is, is at my mind right now. Yeah, um, and uh, he he went through some mental anguish over that game, doesn't he? 
Yeah, he's been through through all of the games. It's always been uh, quite. It's always been kind of difficult because there's an older audience in Super Smash Bros. is very vocal, and then there's also another like probably larger part of the audience, which is the the younger audience that aren't as vocal, and the the older audience always complains about you don't you didn't bring this back. So I can see see when he he, he can really like take a toll on him. Uh, as I've understood from uh, from all of the uh, the negative feedback you can get from people, um, but but yeah, uh, I think a lot of his games, uh, including Kirby that I made first, um, they they're so polished in in every way. Like there there's there's almost no question of like oh wow why did he do this or why did he do that. It's it's almost a question of oh wow how did he figure this out, uh, and that goes for all the games he's been working with. Um, and I want to say that Super Smash Brothers is it's something that nobody... If, if somebody ever would have proposed that as an idea, people would have just said, you're crazy. You, you cannot do that. You can't have every game and every series in the game. Like, just recently, they announced that they're going to put Minecraft in the game. And that's something that I, I, I couldn't have foreseen uh, five years ago, that that was going to be part of the game. Um, but, but I think he, he has a lot of... He puts a lot of effort into the games. He works a lot. Uh, I heard that he works like all days except for two a year or something on his games and he even when he's like sick he still like makes sure that he works while he's sick like it's definitely not it doesn't sound very healthy but he's very determined and you have to appreciate that it's one of these people who doesn't understand the concept of good enough which, exactly um a healthy Thing to do is actually understand the concept of good enough and the problem is that with the English language being the way it is and I know you, you can definitely relate it's really clumsy because it sounds negative, it sounds you haven't really actually put the effort in but in fact you have uh, but you've just actually reached a goal that really is like oh, this, this would be, this is enough you know. I can, but unfortunately um, some people can't do that and they can't let go and Yes, the output can be extraordinary, as you described, but at uh, what cost? So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good answer. Good answer. Michael, what have, what have you got for us? Yes, um, it's, all, it's a tough question, but I think, um, I think actually Image Inform, my previous employer, because what they did is that they, they made now four SteamWorld games, I think. Yeah, they started yeah. with Power Defense, they did Dig, and they did Dig 2, and then Quest. And and from the start, I mean, they, the company's been around for 23 years, so they haven't made video games uh, that are... they done like, The SteamWorld games is only from 2013 and onwards, but they've always been very considerate about their community. Their CEO, Brian, is one of the most nicest persons I ever met in my entire life, and he's genuinely nice to everyone every time which i think is it's that's how you build not only friends but that's how you build a good brand and they've they've made good solid polished games for a lot of years now and they keep on churning out and then in the steam world universe now they recently announced a game outside the steam world universe i think that's going to do well for them anyway because they they have this loyal fan base which they've been catering to for many many years and they're generally nice people, and uh, I really enjoyed my time working there. So, I think Image Inform is uh, it's 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 a great developer with really with yeah really talented people working there. 
But I also think this might be not the most creative answer. But I mean, Nintendo, I mean, they, they've been around since 1889. That's 127 Yeah, they started years. making playing cards and then they went off and started yeah. making toys and all sorts and then found themselves making a video game console. And, exactly. And, and I always think history. it's... Yeah, and I always think it's funny, like, when, when you see, I mean... People are you sometimes you read negative comments about Nintendo. Oh, they don't know about that. They don't know about that. And they don't know about that. You know, every tenth year or fifth year, it's something different that they don't know about. But apparently, they kind of know how to run a company since they've been around for 125 plus years. And I think that's very impressive because that's that's that maybe you need to make tough decisions. Maybe you need to think about exactly how you you know, take care of your IP. You can't allow anything. I mean, they're totally old school, but I think it's when everyone complains about Nintendo, or not everyone, but a lot of people complain about Nintendo. I think they got it the wrong way because I definitely think they know what they're doing and I really respect their their hard work and the awesome titles they put out. I think you have and, to... Re- yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to remember it's a, they are a toy company, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And lastly, I mean, also maybe not as a creative answer, but from software, I mean, as yeah. many others, I'm a huge fan of the Dark Souls games and, you know, looking forward to Demon Souls on the PS5. So, I mean, amazingly uh, games and uh, really looking forward to playing that if I can find the time, which I probably can't, but <laughs> I can imagine I'd have the I, time at least. I, I must confess that I do have both machines on pre-order because of the job I have to have. Come. Otherwise, I have interview guests and like I can't play your game because I haven't got a console. Yeah. So I've had to do that. It's not you know. So don't follow my example, everyone. I'm crazy. Well, not crazy. Just need to be doing it. But the point is, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to Demon Souls as well because I did play it on the PlayStation Three. Um, yeah, and I remember Chrome okay. Hounds on the 360, which is an amazing game. And uh, yeah. then before that, you had Kingsfield. Kingsfield is was was my Grail game, the game I've been looking for for years, but I finally got a copy on my PlayStation One, and uh, oh, really? it's a pre 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 precursor to the yeah. Souls games. Uh, those those yeah, of you no. don't know, I know you know my good friend, but uh, just for listeners, <laughs> Kingsfield is uh, look it up. It's there's there's only, the, it was, they only released two of them in the PAL territories. There's Kingsfield and Kingsfield Four on PlayStation Two, both of which I do own. I'm happy to say, but uh, they definitely you can see the roots of the Souls games in those games. Uh, they're not great, but they're good. And uh, they still kind of hold up, but they're a bit clunky. But then again, you know, PlayStation games are generally not always. I mean, there's Final Fantasy IX, but let's not go there. (laughs) So, okay, well, wonderful answers. And uh, last question for the first half. And uh, we have to ask this question because we're a podcast about video games. So uh, uh, I'll ask this to Isaac first again, to to Michael. Uh, Isaac, what are you playing right now? Yeah, right now I'm playing Mario 35. Uh, this the, the one that just came out on the Switch. Is this the 35 player thing that uh, you play all at the same time? And right, right, right. It's the original Super Mario Bros. And right. all 35 players. And yeah. whenever you kill an enemy, you send it to somebody else's board. And I was like, this is probably going to be fun. And I started <laughs> up last weekend. Uh, put in six hours the first day. Right. Uh, and then the next day, I did the same thing again. It's a, completely. Yeah, it's amazing how your muscle memory fails you in that game. Definitely. You sit there going, I know this level. Well, yeah, you do. But 
back then you only had four enemies on the screen, not 400. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of uh, few tweaks on the hitboxes, and oh, boy, yes. does it make a difference when you try right. to jump over those piranha plants. Uh, yeah. And yeah, but I, I absolutely love that game. It, it's been a lot of fun. It's a wonderful thing. Completely free. Well, I say free, but you have to be online with Nintendo, which is like not very much money per year. If it, and uh, but and it's only limited. It finishes next March, I understand, because it's a it's an anniversary thing. But yeah. Um, yeah, what an extraordinary idea! If you describe it again to someone, they'll, they'll, they'll ush you out of the room, going, "Get out, <laughs> get out!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. No one wants this. Get out! But it turns out to be an absolute triumph of an idea it's a wonderful concept that could go horribly wrong but it didn't and it's amazing how you go through and like yep yeah, i know this bit i know how to deal with this i have to and then they just end up throwing in enemies into areas that don't belong and like they sort of struggling around like i really don't belong here but i'm just going to cause chaos and uh, it's a wonderful idea but yeah it's a it's I a think thing the other day, i think the other day i was fighting four bowsers at once on, on world one one yeah. Which yeah. I never thought of it in my entire lifetime. No, he's like, he had no business being there. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so jarring to see. But uh, no, brilliant idea because those levels are exquisitely made. And they are so, you know, the, the limitations of the technology they had back in the day. So to make, to and to unbalance it, which is so easy to do, because you just throw in one additional enemy and the whole game, sort of the whole level gets thrown out of whack. Again, could yeah. have ended it in disaster, but it's not because it just turns into something else. And yeah. It, yeah, and it's just, yeah, very, very clever. It's like taking a game and taking the bits and components of a game and making a new one out of it. Very impressive. Uh, only Nintendo, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Okay. And Michael, I know you've been saying you can't play any games, but you must be playing something. Uh, very little, but the last game I played was a couple of weeks ago, and it was the Battle Kid 2, which is uh, NES Homebrew that was released in 2012, I think, so a couple of years ago. Okay. And it's actually a fresh new new NES game, which is very, very impressive. Someone um, put this game together all by themselves, basically, um, and it's a uh, super challenging 2d platforming and very much inspired by the Mega Man games and i played this game before but for some reason it's just i just pick it up like once a year and i play it through and then i it's insanely difficult so we've um, me and isaac actually played this on twitch uh, on our like uh, twitch streams we did for Elden pixels uh, a year ago and we died like 800 times i think for a casual playthrough on just you know six or seven hours and now I'm doing the same playthrough, and I'm like down to 500. And I think like maybe next, you know, in a in a half a year or a year from now, I'll play it again and like get down to 200 or 100. It's actually possible to beat it without dying if you're like the best in the world, which I probably will never be. But I still like to try, you know, getting my death counts down. But um, that was a few months ago. But I did actually get the NES Mini that released a year or two years ago. And it's been sealed up ever since. And But last weekend or so, about two or three weeks ago, I brought it out of the package and hooked it up to my computer and quickly realized there wasn't a power, uh, power adapter to it. So I had to hijack my iPhone adapter. And then I realized the the hand controller, the controller cord was like a meter or so. So 
you have to sit in front of the TV. And then I hooked it up and I gave the controller to my son, who's one year and a half. And I was interesting to see what he would do. And he actually played Super Mario Bros. the first one, like the first one. And he could actually jump and move forward. I was very impressed because, you know, it takes some coordination, you know, both moving and jumping. And he made it to like, you know, a fourth into the first level. And then he got stuck at this gap where he was supposed to jump over and didn't get that part. And that was quite fun. It was quite um, almost, um, you know, I almost teared up because it was quite amazing to play the, the game that I played when I was a child with my own son. But what was funny was afterwards we... He just lost his, you know, shit almost because he, he just kept on wanting to play. So we actually had to hide the Nintendo, because every time he saw it, just you know immediately wanted to play again, and he just started crying and he throwing himself on the floor. Right. So we hid the Nintendo, which was good for like a week. Yeah. But I have a huge game collection at home. I wouldn't not huge, but a you know medium game collection at home. So I have a lots of I have. I think three different NES <laughs> versions stacked in my shelf. Right. And he just started noticing them. So we just sat in front of the shelf, you know, crying and pointing at them. And so now we have to hit the, those as well. Because <laughs> so, he now knows what the little grey slab is, or not so little. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, wait, I recognise that. It's bigger, but I recognise that. Like, yeah, yeah. And- they actually, a few years ago, Vans, the shoe company, released this, uh, like, NES-styled uh, shoes. So I have one of those in my shelf, and that's only the the case for the shoes. And he thinks that's the NES as well, so he stands at that and points at that and cries. It's not like I don't want to play more, but, uh, you know, he, yeah. he just, you know, he won't do anything else. Oh. But we're getting an extension cord because so we can actually sit in the sofa and play, and I'm going to try and do that. Let play like more. Yeah, I was going to recommend you. I've got uh, a pair of extension cords, one for the SNES one and one for the NES one. So it yeah. actually goes out and you can actually have a reasonable distance. I don't yeah. know why Nintendo did that, but they did. Um, I do have a bit of a shrine of minis now that's right behind me in my office. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I've got this installation. They, they all hook up to a, 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 a smallest screen and uh, I think my favourite at the moment and you may go oh, how can you say that Chris but the PC Engine one is amazing because <laughs> oh, yeah they the, the games on that machine my friend oh <laughs> they were really really good to be honest I think I could totally be wrong in this I don't know if you know this Isaac but I don't was the PC Engine ever released here in Sweden because I've never seen one or played one I don't think so. Or was it under a different name? Uh, it might have been under the oh, Core Graphics, I think it is. Um, let me just check. <laughs> I don't know, because I, I never actually played that, so I don't Yeah, I know it's, it, but I never played it. But yeah, that, it's an amazing machine, because the games on it are amazing, and the shmups, you know, the R-Type on the PC Engine was just almost arcade perfect. Um, yeah. almost because um, the only difference being is that as you move the ship up the the screen would scroll up a little bit because they couldn't fit in all of the screen into a reasonable size on a regular TV uh, so it is, yeah, it's amazing but uh, yeah it's uh, really really good um, yeah okay. but uh, that's that's my that's the recent, most recent mini I've got and it is probably the best one because the amount of Easter eggs in it and 
there's even extra games that you have to unlock by pressing certain buttons it's amazing <laughs> so uh, they even emulate the uh, use of the um, CDs because it was one of the earliest machines that used the CD ROMs and uh, yeah it's really clever but that's the past let's look at the present shall we and uh, we're going to delve deep now in part two where we have a look at Alva's legacy Do that we need to know what it is in your own words between you or maybe both of you i don't mind what do you believe elwa's legacy is so i think elwa's legacy is a platformer adventure game uh but definitely with uh, metroidvania inspirations but it's i wouldn't really say it's a metroidvania in that sense um if somebody wants to buy a metroidvania and buys this they might not get everything that they want from a metroidvania it's it's more of a uh, open world game. You can choose your own path and, yeah, progress the game however you want to. Uh, so ultimately, I think Alva's Legacy is, is a world where you uh, try to discover secrets and you try to uh, progress and uh, complete all the temples or all the uh, the, the dungeons in the game uh, to try and uh, to try and beat it. I think that's the, the the best explanation I can come up with for it. I think you're right. The the platform aspect, you can't underestimate it. If you do, if you think it's like, I was going to say Hollow Knight, but that's not fair either because Hollow Knight has the same kind of ethos. There's some spiritual link between the two, for good or ill. And that's good, actually. Um, but there's definitely... Yeah, we'll talk about it later, but yeah. The, it's not what you think. You you think you jump. Oh well, no, this is a nice. This is a no. It's no. <laughs> it is a nice, but it's not not what you think. And uh, that, uh, you can come up with preconceived ideas, but you need to shelve a lot of those and embrace what it is. But no, really good description. Thank you. So Elwood's legacy appears to be built around knowing what Zoe, that's the person you're controlling, can do with respect to movement and spells. 
how have you designed East Area to inform the player of this? What do you think you do to make them aware that, well, there's this thing here, but it's a bit high, isn't it? It's a bit strange. It's there. It implies you maybe. I mean, it's it's not there. For, it's there for a reason. Everything has a function or a purpose, but you can't get to that. So why is it there? What do you believe you you inform the player without frustrating them? That's what I'm getting at. Uh, well, uh, that's always challenging. But when we did Albus Awakening, you you have these three core magic abilities. The, the, they are the ability to create a block, which you can push forward and push on buttons, and you can jump on top of it, and you can get some extra height. You can also create magic bubbles, which allows you to jump on, and it floats slowly upwards, which allows you to reach even greater heights. And lastly, there's this offensive attack, which allows you to shoot lightning bolts, mainly used for Inalva's Awakening to um, attack enemies. And Inalva's Awakening, you, you, it almost took like a casual play playthrough, four or five, maybe six hours before you got all these magics. And we, we realized that the game was much more fun when you had all these three magics. So when we did Alva's Legacy, we decided that we quickly want to get this player up to speed, so we'll give them the three basic magic magic attacks very early in the game. So in Alva's Legacy, we have this tutorial loop, and it's it. I don't think it feels like a tutorial, and it doesn't say tutorial anywhere, uh, but it allows the player to learn everything, jumping, climbing ladders, attacking, saving... And it just does that by game design. So very little informational text pop-ups in the beginning of the game. There are a few, but most of the times you we're, we're just placing the player where, where they can't do anything but progress by doing the proper action. So we give the player the block, and then in the next room we have a, a screen where you need to use the block in order to progress. And then we allow the player to... Uh, play for like 10 or 20 minutes with the block and then we give them the bubble and then we let them play for like 30 minutes with the bubble and then lastly we give them the magic attack and the tutorial loop which we call it is probably an hour maybe 90 minutes depending on your skill level and once you completed that you you're kind of unleashed in the central world of the of the game and then you have all the magic and then you know how to uh, use them and it's it's cool when you see people play the game because without any text pop-ups, we're very little. And there we allow the player to we teach them all the mechanics, and it it it, it works. I'm happy that it works. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised it works so well. It's very clever. I had to. This is why it was my first question because we can't. I can't ignore it. I've got to congratulate you all for for the effort you clearly put in to do this because it could have gone the other way. It could have gone deeply frustrating or patronizing like you know you spoon feed everything to the player and that's not fun you know it's like i've because that gives you a false sense of security because when the game kicks in proper the difficulty level does ramp up rightly so because you know and it's it's very difficult to do and you've managed to balance it and i can't congratulate you enough on doing that because it's no mean feat and it's just, it's what regarded as many it's an invisible thing people just uh, don't understand the 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 effort required to do that uh and uh it was just wonderful to see that you see a ledge and go i know i can get up there so i've got to have to be able to get up there but i can't do it now why Oh, I haven't got a thing. 
probably. <laughs> you know, and it was just really subtly done. And it's just, uh, I mean, there's also some of the best puzzles or areas when you use these spells in combination. You use a block, and then you stand on a block, and then you use a bubble to get even higher. You know, it's just, it's just nice little things that, like, oh, yeah, yeah, just, just do that. It's good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about um, timing. Now, my next question. It's really critical, I found. When it comes to traversing in areas in Elwes Legacy, you really got to know when to land, not just so, not just where to land. Um, what? How much balancing have you done with this? Because you know, it it it's then back in the old days, it used to have to be split second stuff. But I'm not getting that with Elwes Legacy. I think there's there's something. It's a little bit more forgiving than those. Well, how have you found making sure that the experience isn't frustrating so uh we've definitely gone through a lot of uh, uh balancing phases um we had a period where we did a lot of playtests we did one playtest every week where we would spend like two to four hours with a person and just let them play through the game and see what they um had problems with and what they enjoyed and all that stuff and like you mentioned there with the split seconds uh reactions and stuff um we did have that for a little bit in in Alva's Legacy, where uh, when you were attacking, uh, it was kind of hard to move around at the same time. Um, so a big part that we added is that if you attack in the air and land, uh, you don't get stuck for too long. And that's something that could happen in, in a lot of other games and also happened in, in Legacy beforehand, before we balanced it. And um, we've also always made sure that there's a fair amount of space between you and an enemy. You can always wait for an enemy uh, before you approach a platform um, and, and tweaked around that and, and also tweaked a lot on uh, on uh, the timings and reactions on enemies and their startup time. I remember I used a lot of uh, used a lot of Street Fighter frame data to see basically what do they think are good reaction times for people. Like I looked at heavy attacks on certain characters because humans are supposed to be able to react to those. So I, I used a lot of uh, other fighting game frame data to to see, basically see what, what about the threshold is for a human to be able to react to certain attacks. And I tried to time the, uh, the enemy's uh, attacks on that. Um, and that really helps a lot in making the game feel more... Uh, more fair to you. Like, you won't, you won't get hit before your eyes are able to register that an attack is happening. Um, so it's been a lot of that kind of uh, tweaking and balancing, uh, mostly on the enemies to try and make sure that they're they're not too overpowered. Yeah, and it really works because that's that makes that's the thing I was sort of alerting to is just that I've I've been playing platform games for a very very long time. One of the oldest and most celebrated in the UK is something called Manic Miner, and that was all about landing you, you had no means of attacking anything but it was always about timing everything was about timing for that and uh, i found myself having to go back to that time but only the only difference being is that i could actually vanquish the foe that was causing me grief uh, and there are some little skeletons that appear very early in the game that for example have armor on so you can only take them out when they are not facing you so you had to time it in such a way that you land behind them and then take them out and I found that quite interesting, almost Prince of Persia-like 
if you like for the timing is wise as well yeah. uh but uh but that's a whole different game <laughs> uh but uh yeah no i just felt the need to to ask about because you've done a really good job with that too you know you could have could have like you know control the throwing sort of gnashing of teeth that we used to do back in the day in the snes days and stuff some of those games were excruciating like you know super star wars for example but um it uh no you've you've reined that in thanks to you know game design everyone <laughs> that's what it's like <laughs> now so uh, next, i'm gonna ask you about the uh visuals now and the atmosphere of the game because the music being amazing uh, definitely a, 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 an evolution from Alwa's awakening um the 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 the, the uh uh, Our legacy. The music score is stunning, absolutely. So I can't congratulate enough for that. But I just want to talk about the visuals as well because I feel that some of the dungeons or the larger areas, uh, it feels quite claustrophobic. You feel closed in, really closed in. Um, was that something you honed, or is it something that evolved that way, or is it because you're in a dungeon, it's going to feel enclosed? But it just definitely feels that you are. You know the, the the world is almost collapsing in on you, and then eventually, when you go out to the outside and the village and and everything, you've got nice blue skies and it's all open. It does feel quite refreshing. Was that an intentional feeling, or was it something that just came out of out of the game design? I think like what we do in the dungeons is that we we have this small dark overlay over the entire screen, which makes it feel a bit more you know like an actual game dungeon, and then we spend a lot of time making sure that everything that you need to interact with on the screen, like buttons or projectiles or enemies or keys or whatever, has a small glow to it, make it more readability. But yeah, we've, um, we have, once you go from a dungeon that's quite dark and have this dark overlay and you go outside, we kind of wanted to have that feeling that, you know, you're in, when you've been in the office the entire day or stayed at home the entire day and then you go out and you get almost hit by the sun, like your eyes need to adjust to the bright light. That was kind of feeling we were going for because we wanted to have those uh, feeling that you enter a dungeon and you you are in there for a certain amount of time and then you exit and then you 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 know defeat the boss and you exit and then you come out to the bright light again you know making setting this the almost a new chapter for a new adventure to begin again that was kind of a, a setting or a feeling we were going for but it worked <laughs> yeah good because uh, it definitely feels my eyes were widening up when I actually go into the the areas that that broader uh, sort of like blue sky areas, you know, let's say good blue sky. Although, it's, thankfully, you've gone for a much lighter blue because Sega yeah. blue is a bit. You know what I mean? It's a bit too dark, just a bit. But, <laughs> but no, you've yeah. definitely gone for that broad, open, open sky. I mean, it's still the same game, still the same, but it's just got that feeling of oh, I'm out. You know, you could breathe. Like, oh, I'm out of there. That was a that was a slog. Not a negative yeah. slog, but just feeling of relief of stepping outside, and you know, I think uh, almost felt akin to when you go out in the vault and fall out three. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's, uh, that's quite. Uh, I remember that in Fallout Three. That was a great moment. But yeah, that's kind of like the feeling we were going for. That's an elegant way to put it. Yeah. Thank you. I know it's uh, it's just the way I feel about those games when you step out in oblivion as well when you come out of prison. And like, oh look, yeah. look, I can go anywhere I like. Where's the main yeah. quest? Anyway, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I tend to mainline Elder Scrolls games, but anyway, that's, that's just me. Um, last question, and I think this is one that does need to be spoke uh, asked uh, because it's it's interesting that you've got this included, and I'm not sure where you were going with it, but uh, in in a right way. But uh, there's upgrade paths for the spells. You pick up blue orbs and you trade those in for upgrading your spells. And it does make things somewhat easier on the player to actually have these upgrades. Uh, can you talk us through how you designed these? I mean, what what did you do when you first sort of come came up with them, and what what what? How did you think it enhanced the experience? Right. So, uh, in the Alva's Awakening, uh, after you got the block, the bubble, and the lightning, yeah, uh, you would later find upgrades to them uh, in the world. Uh, this is a bit of a spoiler, but uh, I'll throw it in anyways. Uh, so you'll find a um, a upgrade to get a floating block and an infinite bubble uh, that goes up forever. Um, and we wanted those in the game uh, this time around as well, but we also wanted to have more more to them, more to the spells. Uh, so we added this upgrade system because it creates it lets the players create their own playstyle. If you're a person who wants to explore a lot. It will give you probably go for the bubble because you get more reach, and if you want more defense or you want to solve a bit some more puzzles, you might go for the block, and if you really just want to go for attacking, uh, you can upgrade the lightning. And the reason we we added them is because we wanted the player to be able to progress the world in whichever way they want to. So you can always progress the game and beat the game without using any upgrades. They're never required. But you can also use the upgrades to progress the world without getting some of the uh, the items that you would otherwise require if you didn't have the upgrades. So ultimately, uh, these were added to um, for, for, for the player who likes to explore to have something rewarding or something to look forward to. And if somebody finds, say, the final boss uh, a little bit too difficult, it gives them a chance to explore the world, gather those little orbs, and, and build up their their character and build up their strength to be able to, to defeat the boss. And if somebody would find the game too easy, they can choose to either not upgrade or they can choose to to play the game differently or in a, in a different style than they would normally do. Um, so ultimately, it's it's to create a, uh, a player choice of how you want to play the game. That's quite an, a relatively recent innovation I've found that developers are realizing that uh, when they make their games they cease to be theirs and they become the people who just own you know play them there and so it becomes a, a shared experience a shared creative endeavor and part of that is actually playing the game itself and everyone has their own way of playing the game everyone has their own way of doing it and uh, this is especially true of going back to the souls games everyone some people like being the shield sword dodge guy that's fine <laughs> You know, uh, and that's or others. Or, there's just if the game gives you a broad enough brush, you can play it as you see fit. Whereas historically, it was very much no, you would do it like this or not at all, and that's that's just not really being very charitable, or indeed respecting the player's time, or in their or indeed their um, their sensibilities. Whereas now, because you know, game design being much more advanced than it ever was um 
yeah, you've actually created an environment that caters to the player's own style of play. Like you say, some people are massive explorers, me included, um, and you know, love to and anything they can do, anything the game gives you to enhance the ability to explore, I will exploit personally. Um, and uh, whereas others um, who actually want to challenge and just like to, you know, and they will want to go that route and want to actually combat themselves with or fight against the game system itself to actually say, "See, I beat it." Like, okay, fine, good, good on you. Good luck to you. It's not my thing, but uh, no. And it's really clever how you did that because, you, like you said, you don't have to upgrade. You don't have to. You can if you want, but uh, it's entirely up to you. It was, uh, make the game as as entertaining as you want it to be. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's also uh, a, 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 almost a personal and private effect to creating a game that allows you to play it differently because. Uh, we've done numerous, numerous and hours of QA for all the different versions we have. We have three or four platforms out now, and there's a lot of QA. And every time we need to play the game from start to finish, it's always fun because you can always pick a different route. So it's never the same level, same exams, the exact same thing every time. Sometimes, okay, I'm going to try this route now today and, you know, maybe in a month from now I'm doing QA for Apache or whatever. I'm going to try another route and this time I'm doing the upgrades and this I'm doing that. And you get completely, I was in completely, but you get slightly different results depending on your play style. And that's something we've added <laughs> for ourselves as well because it's, 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 it's almost fun to play the game. We're actually going to do some QA later today. And there's multiple paths you can choose when you do a QA run, even if, even at the end, it's always going to result in 100%. So that's something we wanted just for ourselves as well. Nice, nice. Yeah. Right. Well, Hours Legacy, uh, created by uh, Elden Pixels and published. Um, where did the what's the name of the studio come from, by the way? It's um, it's a good question. I actually saw a tweet. Uh, there's a there's a character in Elvis Awakening called Eldon, and that was yes. Yeah, so we we name. Let me start from the finish. Let's start, let's start from the finish. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, so we Eldon Pixels is the third option we wanted to have. We originally submitted Team Alba, which was a name we came up with when we did Elvis Awakening, and we submitted that to what we call Bublox Racket here in Sweden, and they said, no, you can't have that name because Alva is copyrighted somewhere, I think in Germany or something. Right. And then we were like, oh, wow, we didn't thought about that. Then we had to came up, come up with a whole new name, and we, for some reason, went with Blind Pixels, which we thought, oh, you know, that's a cool name. You know, we submitted that, and once again, that was copyrighted. Blind for software somewhere in right. uh, in some country. So the last time we were like, "Gosh darn it! How many times do we have to do this again? Like, we can't we just come up with a name?" And we had this character Elden from Alva's Awakening, who was just named internally. You can't really tell when you play in the game that his name is Elden. It was like, "What about Elden Pixels? Oh, that's a cool." Cool name, and Elden in Swedish means fire, so you know it's a fun name poking at the Swedish language and stuff like that. So we submitted Elden Pixels, and it was approved, and then we really like it. So it wasn't like we chose a bad name or anything. It was just like the third time we had to do it was like just just get the meeting over with so we could submit a new name. 
Yeah, we we love asking this question on the show um, because we do get some very interesting names. Um, yeah. And you could have gone with, you know, some apologies, regular listeners, but I always point this out. Could have gone with colour animal. That happens a lot. <laughs> but no, I'd like the fact that you've got a bit of a backstory there. You've got this little character in a game you're making and his pixels. And the fact that it's fire pixels, which, um, it's a, sorry, it's a rough translation. Apologies, but it's a bit. One of the earliest sort of uh, animated pixels you saw in video games is actually fire, because that's the hardest thing to do. It's a random flames are by inherently, you know, random. So to reproduce that in a computer is quite hard. Uh, so for me, you're doing something that's quite hard, and uh, it sort of uh, saying fire pixels for me is that's very poetic. So from that's, that's how I interpret it anyway. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah, to further add on the story as well, uh, oh, yes. all all NPCs are basically named after movie characters. Right. So in Alice Legacy, like almost every single name is either named for someone we know in real life or like a some kind of funny movie reference that no one gets. And <laughs> Elden is an actor called Elden Hansen or Hansen, Hansen or Hansen, depending on how you pronounce it, right. which most people don't know about, but he was in Butterfly Effect and he was in The Mighty and he was in maybe some of the Marvel movies lately. I'm not sure, but he, he's an actor and he's a great actor. And um, that name, just we added him to the game and, and then it became the name of our company. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So yes, Elwes Legacy. Uh, it's out now uh, via yeah. Steam and good old games. I understand. And Switch. And it's on um, Windows, PC, Mac, and Linux. I have to let people know. And it's on the Switch. And that's the two. That's the major two platforms it's on at the moment, or four platforms. Yep. Okay. Good. And uh, yeah, thank you very very much both for coming on the show you've been wonderful guests uh, and as I said earlier you're more than welcome to come back to tell us what uh, what else you've made uh, yeah. but uh, until then thanks very much thank you thank you so much for having us you have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast part of the Cane and Rinse Collective support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, canonrince.com.